You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. For everything for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky and George Bremer here with you. A very special podcast. We not only have a lot to get to here, but George, this is the first official all-season Blue Horseshoe Podcast ever created. Welcome to the Yeah, you know, hey, it's a big day for us. Uh, in a lot of ways, we've been looking forward to this one for a while. <laughs> True. Most people count down the days to when the season starts, and maybe count down the days till you know training camp. Here we are, count down the days to get this season open. Let's get the offseason pods rolling here, but we do appreciate you joining us for the first official offseason pod of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast right here on Odyssey. We got a lot to break down from. We are hours removed from Chris Ballard's end of the year press conference. We have a lot of takeaways to dive into, a lot of takeaways to get from Jeff Saturday's end of the year press conference, and the players' kind of final reactions to this 2022 failed season as well. So let's start with the most recent bit of news here. And I think press conference, George, I was looking forward to the most. I don't about yourself, but at least for me, hearing Chris Ballard talk about the failures of 2022, what went wrong, what didn't. There's so much to take away here. I have one big positive, one big, I guess, negative, we'll say, from from this uh, from this uh, or from this press conference. You want to start good or bad here? Um, let's start with the good. Okay. For me, at least, I thought the biggest positive of this uh, press conference is that Chris Ballard – admitted basically kind of saw fault of the quarterback carousel going the veteran route every single year. And without saying it, because I don't think you could say it now, but without saying it, conveyed the message that basically the Colts are going to get a quarterback in the draft. And he made it known that if they identify the guy, if they have a guy in the draft, and not name anyone, but if, if they find a quarterback that they say, this is our guy, the guy, we'll do whatever it takes to move up to number one. We'll do whatever it takes to get him. So at least for me, that makes me feel good knowing forward that this is finally – I think it's safe to say the quarterback carousel is going to come to an end. And not only that, the Colts are not shy about doing whatever it takes to talk with the Bears and move up and pay the price in order to get a guy that hopefully in a decade can be the guy. I think that's always been the case. You know, I, I think the whole time he's been here, that's always been the case. I think what's different this year is what they the ability they have to make it happen. You know, if, if you had identified the guy in 2019, for instance, where were you picking? You know, you, you you didn't have a shot. You were down at the end of the first round. You ended up trading out that year and getting, I think, Rockison. Um, you know, it, there wasn't it wasn't there. It wasn't on the table for you. Now, I thought one of the interesting things that he talked about was 2020 was the closest. And I I would agree. You know, they they made the decision to go with DeForest Buckner, uh, which he's, I think, right in defending that call. I mean, DeForest Buckner is a, a cornerstone of this franchise. Um but this year, I think sitting there at number four, knowing that the ability to end this quarterback carousel is three picks away, it's a totally different 
circumstance if you identify the guy. And I think that's that's going to be the big question moving forward. You know, does he think Bryce Young is worth trading up to number one like we do? Does he think CJ Stroud's worth trading up to number one? Does he think Will Levis is worth trading up to number one? Um, if the answer to any one of those is yes, then he's going to move up. If the answer to all of them is yes, then they'll, you know, I, I think that then they've got a good problem, you know, on their hands right. and and they can sit down and make that pick. But I don't think they can stay in Pat. That's why I think that was the big positive takeaway for me. I, I look at the situation. I understand the fans that, that want to sit there at four and, and think CJ Stroud will fall to them. And, you know, that's their preferred way to, to go about this. I just think you are playing with fire. Uh, not only is Chicago going to get a lot of offers at one, everybody behind you, Carolina um, comes to mind right away. Washington comes to mind right away. Everybody behind you who's trying to end their own quarterback problems knows they've got to get up to three ahead of you. And so even if Chicago sits and picks, which I think is unlikely at this point, the odds of Arizona trading out of three go up tremendously at the moment that happens. I don't think the Colts can sit in hope anymore. It, to me, that's this year's Band-Aid, is sitting there at four and just you know taking whoever comes. I think they may need to, to be aggressive, identify a quarterback, and go get him. And it sounds like that's something that Ballard's you know, open to. So that, to me, that was a really good takeaway. I 100% agree. And to Chris Ballard's credit, he kind of defended himself in this aspect during the press conference on, on Tuesday. It was the fact that he's made, you know, aggressive moves before in trading, like you said, the, the I believe it was the 13th overall pick in the 2020 draft. And I was thinking for DeForest Buckner, which is a known commodity. And like I said, that worked out pretty well so far. Um, he traded a first round pick eventually that, you know, that turned into a first round pick for Carson Wentz. So they've taken swings. Some have worked, some have not. Like I said, just the acknowledge with that, if we're going to find or if we're going to get our guy in the draft, basically sitting at four is not going to work for us and basically not going to have to be the plan of action. I think it's encouraging, at least the fact that, again, for the first, like you can actually feel pretty good with the Colts doing whatever it takes to get the guy now. Like I said, the big question and the big uh, discussion we'll have over the next three, three, four months is going to be who do the Colts identify as the guy? Do they even pick one of these four guys? Uh, that are out in the draft as the guy. Because, you know, we've talked about, oh, just take a quarterback. And Chris Ballard's talked about before. Oh, you know, just take any guy and for a few months. You'll, you know, the pressure will be off. Him, but as soon as that guy struggles, then all of a sudden you're out of a job. And, again, we've seen the history kind of shows you. If you swing and miss on quarterbacks, most will get a second chance. But, again, you don't really get many other opportunities. And with Chris Ballard kind of already being as long into, into his tenure as he's been, he's not a first second-year guy. That leash gets insanely short if you swing and miss on – I will Levis, and he doesn't work out in a year or two, or even a Bryce Young. I mean, we both think are high him, but the reality is there's no guarantees. If Bryce Young stinks in a year or two, Chris Bowles probably have a job. But that's going to be the big question now is will they, you know, who will they identify to be the guy, if anyone? But at least the good news is I think as a Colts fan who's sitting here on January 10th, you can feel good that they will make or they will do whatever it takes. There's, there's no price too high to get to number one. Or even like I said, get to maybe number three, assuming that if the Bears stick a one, you're not going to probably trade with the Texans at two. And if your guys just in there are three, even if it's one pick up, they'll do whatever it takes. So they will not be outbid like we we're kind of talking about on the on the post game pod on Sunday. They'll not be outbid for the guy, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, that that to me is the number one thing this year. Uh, it sounds like they're going to go the draft route. Uh, some of the players even made reference to that in the locker room. You know, passing reference to the idea that they'll probably be playing with a rookie quarterback. Uh, so I think that's the that's the understanding from pretty much the entire organization right now uh, that that's the direction they're most likely headed in. And if, if it is, I think you've got to be aggressive. So it was good to hear him say that they're open to that idea of thinking. 
that was my biggest positive. Do you have another takeaway, George, that you thought was like a, I guess a, a shining light for the the future of this team going forward here with Chris Ballard? I don't know if there's like anything on that level, you know, of feeling that good about it. But I, I did think it was interesting that he said they're not limiting themselves in this coaching search to, you know, offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators. They're not going to, to get stuck on one side of the ball. And I think as important as it is, you know, overall, as much as I personally usually favor the offensive minds, especially the young offensive minds, you can just look at the playoffs and see it works both ways. I mean, Brandon Staley, uh, for all the warts that he has, has the Chargers in the playoffs this year. Sean McDermott has the Bills as one of the best teams in the NFL. Uh, they come to mind right away as defensive guys who are out there, you know, leading their teams. So um, I think what's important with the defensive side and, and what I tried to ask about it, and he kind of answered it in a little bit different way. Um, but I think what's important with the, if it is a defensive guy is what structure are they going to put around that young quarterback? Who is your offensive coordinator? Who is your quarterback's coach? You know, what's your plan for that rookie? But I, I, I think it's good to have as wide a field as you can. And if the best candidate's a defensive coordinator, if it's, you know, Idro Evero from the, the Broncos, if it's, you know, another name out there, the Glenn Glenn from the else. Lions, right. you know, um, make the pick. You know, I, I think you definitely shouldn't limit yourself just based on the fact that he's a defensive guy. I would agree. Like I said, I'm with you. I prefer an offensive mind just because in part, if it works out, number one, you're going to have a rookie quarterback. that's going to make his, his transition a little bit better. But also, too, you don't have to worry about the guy leaving. Right? That's the that's the biggest concern when it comes to like a, a special teams coordinator as a head coach or a defense coordinator as a head coach is that they have to hire an offensive staff. And you have to not only believe in that defense coordinator, special teams coordinator as the head coach, we also believe in their offensive plan, especially when you're the Colts, where we believe they're going to get a rookie quarterback. You have to have a, a true system in place that will help groom and develop this young guy, not just kind of throw him into the fire or kind of screw it up. We've seen plenty of teams just kind of willy-nilly their young quarterbacks to the system. Like, look at the Patriots putting a defensive coordinator. Now, now I don't think the core of the Colts would go to that extreme of putting a defensive guy as an offensive coordinator and screwing you know the development of Mac Jones up. But it's a real concern when you kind of go someone that's not an offensive mind as a coach is like that you have to believe in not only them, their offensive plan as well. And you also have to believe in their hiring ability. Because like I said, if if the young quarter if the young quarter the Colts have succeeds and succeeds early, well, most chances are now we're gonna hear that guy's name as a head coaching uh, candidate sooner rather than later. And that means that offensive coordinator is gonna get a head coaching job and they, they you know the, whoever the head coach you have to hire a new offensive coordinator, you have to kind of go through that cycle a few times over and over and over again. And it's, sometimes it's tough. It's frustrating. And that's part of the reason why having even just an offensive-minded head coach, not even having him call the plays and be the offensive coordinator, but just an offensive-minded head coach does make it easier when you have a young quarterback because there is that stability there inherently because they're not going to leave. Unlike, you know, if you do hire a defense coordinator or a special teams coach that, again, if things go well, it'd be great. It's a great problem to have. But then also you're going to probably lose a lot of continuity with constant switching in and out of guys in their in their, uh, in their their head and kind of offensive systems as well. So. I'm with you, like, best candidate should be hired. But that's, you know, you're not going to – I wouldn't hire the third or fourth best candidate just because he's an offensive guy and the first three are, you know, defensive coordinators. That's the best, you know, the best candidate for the job. But, like I said, preferably it would be an offensive guy. But, like I said, I do like Chris Ballard kind of casting a wide net and just – even just even if you interview guys from different backgrounds, hearing different ideas. You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, that's a good idea. I'll steal that, use it, you know, for the next system going forward here. So, I'm um, with you there. We talked about it earlier too. I, you might get a better candidate on the defensive side just because.
side of the ball right now. That is the roster that you're walking into. That side of the ball is more ready to win, and, and there might be more defensive coaches uh, of higher quality who, who want to come in and take on that challenge. And it also comes back to leadership as well. Uh, I feel like a key word, a buzzword we've heard a lot really the last eight weeks when Jeff Satter was hired. And I don't think we saw a lot of leadership to be frank. And now you kind of look at that. If you can get at least a good leader, said no matter where, what kind of side of the ball he's on, if you are a good leader who makes good decisions, guys will follow. They want to come here. And like I said, you can still have, you know, a successful team. Like I think the Bills with Sean McDermott is a perfect example of that, of Josh Allen's development still going fine, still going through the Bills, still being a Super Bowl contender right now, no matter kind of who's been an offensive coordinator here the last uh, last two weeks. All right, so that was some positives there, some some big ones. We'll get into also a few other minor details about Chris Ballard's press conference here in a second. But let's also just get to the negative side here, George, because I will say the one thing that scared me, the one thing that got me nervous uh, was when Chris Bauer was talking about, although he'll head up the head coaching search, which I think is great for the Colts, he said ultimately it's going to come down to Jim Mercer and Jim Mercer's decision which when you look at Jim Mercer's decision-making this year specifically, it has been awful. It has been absolutely terrible. And I'll be honest, that worries the hell out of me, George, because you can go – we can just – we talked about it. You can have the best candidates, and it could be a defensive guy. It could be – offensive guy doesn't matter. But if Jim Mercer is set on Jeff Saturday or set on someone else for whatever reason possible, and it, even if they're not the best candidates, just Jim Mercer gets fixated on, that, I am very concerned that, again, Jim Mercer is going to be the, the biggest voice or the deciding voice – and what is a massive, massive move here for the Colts and in getting their head coach? Yeah, you know, I, I think I felt for a little while like this was going to come down to Jim Ursay kind of having Jeff Saturday as his choice, and then Ballard's going to go out and find his choice and have to kind of argue that that case and, and, and win the argument. And Ballard didn't say it in so many words today, but it, it feels like that's sort of the case, uh, the way that they're going. The one thing I think that, that does sort of limit my concern on that it's 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 absolutely a concern i mean the way this year's gone uh just look at everything that happened from halloween on it's an absolute concern there's no question about that but i do think at this point jim ursa is going to have to override his general manager and make a decision that he knows is going to be unpopular with the media he knows is going to be un unpopular with the fan base and if I'm Chris Ballard, my number one argument against it to him is that the, the rookie quarterback doesn't need all of this on him. You've It's a circus right now. And if you keep Jeff Saturday, it's it's going to continue to be a circus in terms of the questions that are going to be asked. This rookie quarterback, whether it's Bryce Young, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, Stetson Bennett the fourth. I don't care who it is that comes <laughs> in here. If, if they're struggling in week 14, he doesn't need to be asked questions about Jeff Saturday. And and why he's still here. And that's not something you want to put on a 22 or 23 year old kid or 38, if it's Stetson or whatever, however old he is, you don't want to do that with a rookie quarterback. And I think you've got the circus has to leave town before that kid gets here. And that would be my argument. If, if I'm Chris Ballard, look, you may believe in Jeff Saturday. You may believe he's going to be a good coach someday, but I don't think he's right now. He would have to do a lot to convince me He's the right guy to, to support this rookie quarterback and develop him. And I think just the circus that surrounds him right now, it, it's too much to put on a young kid. That is all common sense. And for 99% of people, especially even, well, I know owners maybe are not the most sensical and logical, so maybe <laughs> that, that percentage is smaller. But for the most part, that makes a lot of sense, and that should be the absolute reason that, that you need any to begin with. But those are some great points, George, as to why Jeff Saturday should not be the head coach. 
here's what gets you word, especially from Chris Ballard's press conference today, was that he said, especially when it comes to the decision-making, he said Jim Mercer is a good listener. Now, we could do it. We really have to break that down because it does not seem like Jim Mercer was listening to Chris Ballard a whole hell of a lot this year whatsoever. That has me concerned. Uh, what else has me concerned is even the way Chris Bauer is talking today about Jeff Saturday, saying that he's a, a smart candidate, a tough candidate, a good teammate, a leader, which I don't agree with a lot of those precedents or, or those characterizations when it comes to just being a head coach. He said that the team did not stop competing, which, again, I would vehemently disagree with. And he also said he's not judging uh, Jeff Saturday on his record, the 1-7 and seven record and the 7 trade loss to finish the year. Chris Bauer just sounded like to me, George, to me, a guy that's trying to – dance around Jeff Saturday's candidacy in a positive way because he knows deep down, even though he wouldn't hire him, there's a real chance he will be hired because of Jim Mercer's thinking, and you're not going to badmouth the head coach. That's probably bad for his own job security if the owner is fixated on Jeff Saturday. And that's, to me, it, 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 for, for how we think Chris Ballard views Jeff Saturday, and you kind of look at his body language from the opening presser back in, what was it, November at this point, the way he talked about him or the way he looked then compared to the way he talked about him on Tuesday, it sounds like to me deep down Chris Ballard because this is he has a better shot of being higher than maybe we think. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, there's no doubt he's a legitimate candidate because the owner likes him. Uh, there, there's no question about that. I don't even think reporting has been anything different than that. I know it was right. straight out in a Tom Pelissero tweet that he said he remains a viable candidate because the owner likes him. Uh, there's, there's no question about that. I, I just think – we don't know how dug in Jim Irsay is. And then that's, I'm always talking about the unanswerable questions for us. And that's one of them right now. We just don't know how dug in he is on, on that opinion. We know he really likes Jeff Saturday. We know that puts him in, in the running. Um, but, you know, how open is he to, to other suggestions? We'll see. The fact that Chris Ballard's running the search, it means he's at least some level of, of open to, to some other suggestions. And I think that helps. The most concerning to me among all the questions was just that that he's not going to judge uh, Saturday on the one and seven record because it was out of tone with everything else Chris Ballard said today. The opening of, of his press conference, when the first words out of his mouth were, I failed, and him talking about, you know, how these decisions that he makes depend, they, they determine families' lives, players' families, coaches' families. You know, you're, you're messing with, with people's livelihoods and how much, how, how seriously he takes that. That level of accountability was honestly missing from Jeff Saturday's press conference the day before. And I thought the one note that, that Ballard struck today uh, that, that felt like what Jeff Saturday was talking about was that he wasn't going to judge him on that record. I know the context by that. I know what he's talking about. There's a lot of truth to the idea that we, we talked about it when Jeff Saturday was hired, that it's a really tough situation he was coming into, and it was a no-win situation. Um, but I just feel like Jeff Saturday accepting that alone – there's there's no after that you can't come back and use it as an excuse once you knew nothing changed about this situation from the day he took the job and once you knew that and you accepted the job then it's a results oriented business and you're going to be judged by your results couldn't agree more i think it's the perfect place to stop here george i think you're right because that's the tone of Chris Ballard's press conference on tuesday compared to the tone of jeff saturday's on monday i think it's something we have to definitely dive into and break down because i think you can kind of see that the, the two different schools of thought. I think if you're the Colts look forward here, there's one school of thought that I think has you going in a positive way. There's one that has you going in a negative way. So a few more breakdowns from Chris Ballard's press conference. One overall theme that you just mentioned that I liked a lot, that I think is, again, a, a positive, even for those doubting 
Chris Ballard and wanted him fired. I think that that's something that's going to win uh, fans over. So we'll get into that and also break down Jeff Saturday's uh, interesting press conference and his actual candidacy when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky, George Bremer here with you on the first official off-season pod of the season. It's going to be a very busy off-season, not just for the Colts, but also for us right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. So no better time to download and subscribe than right now because we've got a lot of content coming your way, even though the season's over. We a lot of podcasts recorded, a lot of talk, George. That is for sure. And to at least put a bow on Chris Ballard's press conference on Tuesday, I think there's a lot of different takeaways. We'll still even get to a few smaller ones and quick hitters at the end of the pod. But one thing I really liked, and it started, honestly, in the first second of the press conference. He started, I believe his exact first two words were, quote, I failed, end quote. Which is not wrong, right? The 4-12-1, there's a lot of roster holes, a lot of just poor play from everybody. And it does fall a lot on the GM. But it was nice to hear accountability from Chris Ballard. And it, to me, like the, one of the takeaways I, I took from it was not only is he recognizing you failed, I think he also recognized that maybe some of the ways I thought teams should be built, I have to adjust. He's been someone who's you know been staunch about you know building in the trenches and still even kind of double down on that. Maybe his philosophy about quarterback and how to acquire them change. I think he kind of got that when he talked about you know doing whatever it takes to get that quarterback in the draft. If you find out to be that guy, I like the 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 accountability that Chris Bauer took. And I like that. I kind of got a sense that he even realized that some of the ways, some of the philosophies for him have to change or the Colts are going to get this turned around, which is a good thing. If not, it's a definition of insanity. You go to the same thing over and over and over again without results changing. Yeah. I mean, he mentioned really quickly after talking about being failed, I can't remember where it was at, but it was very early in the, in the, in the press conference that the quarterback carousels, the biggest thing that he puts on himself, you know, and, and I look, I've not hammered him hard for it. Uh, over the years because I agreed with it as it was going on. And and that's a lot of times that's where I'm at. You know, how if I wasn't second guessing something at the moment or before it happened, I'm not going to suddenly second guess it after because it's not fair. You don't you can't play the game that way. Um, and and I felt like what he said today was the rationale that I thought was right. I know there's a lot of fans out there that don't agree. And that's one of the things that I love about the NFL in general. That there's rarely a right answer when it comes to these kind of things. You've got a philosophy. The GM has a philosophy. Somebody else has a different philosophy. Nobody's right or wrong in the situations. What makes it great is what makes these arguments great. It's what gives us so much to talk about on this podcast. But I personally, I felt like what he was saying about trying to bring in a veteran because you felt like you were close and that veteran could get you over the top. When you bring in a rookie, you're pretty much rebuilding. And I think that's another thing that changes this year's situation. It's not just that you're picking fourth overall. You got a new head coach coming in. You were 4-12-1. and one. Ballard's made it very clear in case there was any doubt, which there shouldn't be, that there's going to be changes on the roster. That's what happens when you do this. There, It may not be a complete and utter rebuild, but there's definitely a, a pretty big remodeling going on this offseason. So now's the time to bring a rookie quarterback in. It makes sense at this point. You don't do that when you feel like you're on the cusp of going you know, deep in the playoffs because you're setting yourself back. I mean, even the 49ers did it. They started Jimmy Garoppolo still. 
They made that big trade up for Trevor or for Trey Lance, but they said, look, Jimmy G's still our guy and, and, and we'll transition to the rookie. So I didn't have a problem with the way he handled that. But I think now looking back, it didn't work. There's no question about that. He agrees with that. I agree with that. And now you're going to change the way that goes. I, I think that was the biggest thing. Uh, and it definitely is pointing towards them going after a quarterback in the draft. Um, but I also thought, I wonder because it was less clear in there, does it change his philosophy on free agency? Is he more willing now to go after one or two big name guys? The philosophy so far has been sign five or six guys at a middle tier level. You know, is he more aggressive now in going out and, and getting, you know, does he feel like maybe had he gone and been more aggressive and signed a left tackle last year or this year, the year before, um, you know, is that part of the regrets? I don't know. He wasn't specific about that, but that's part of the part I wonder. As far as the offensive line stuff, we touched about this in the in the first segment a little bit. It's another situation where I don't agree with him on that one, but I know where he was coming from. When he was talking about, you know, continuity, if you look at last year's line when Carson Wentz was here, it felt like they could plug in anybody and it just kept rolling. It didn't matter. Danny Penner came in for Ryan Kelly. Fine. They, they, they kept rolling right along. Chris Reed had to come in because Mark Lewinsky was hurt. Fine. They're just going to roll right along. Matt Pryor had to play right tackle while Braden Smith was dealing with injuries. They just rolled right along. And so I think he put too much faith in that this year. The idea that last year you could just plug in a couple guys and they just kept going. He put in too much faith that that would carry over an offseason. So I don't agree with that it was okay to, to believe that, but I know where it was coming from. And I think that's another one of the things that he was pretty clear about, you know, regretting in, in some of the changes he wants to make. And I know it's obvious because, again, you're 4-12-1, and one, so it's not all sunshine and roses. You can't, with a straight face, say, oh, we're not that far away and just, like, you know, make minimal changes like you could the last three offseason. And I'm with you. Like, that's why I was still on the camp for the most part of keep Chris Battle around because I, for the most part, understood a lot of the moves he made where, and you were 7-9, and nine, which Cody Brissett in 2018. You're like, oh, we're not that, like, we have a competent quarterback. We can actually make things happen. You go 11-5 with Phillip Rivers. You try to get Carson Wentz, who was on a MVP track at one point, still early in his career. Like, if we figure him out, like, this could be our guy for the next five, seven years. Like, I think up to this point, you could justify a lot of the moves they made, for the most part, roster-wise, especially quarterback-wise. And now, like I said, at least I appreciate the accountability because now you're at a point where you're 4-12-1. and one. You Like, you can't just say, oh, we're one or two pieces away. Or oh, we'll figure out. Like, now it's I, wholesale changes are needed, and I have to reevaluate I approach this team because – how we've done it the last few years, it has not worked. And like I said, now it's kind of maybe you're able to tread water the last two or three years, but now you, you see when your arms tire out, you, you drop like a rock. And that's why you're sitting there, pick number four. And this team just completely fell. And now it's going to take remodeling and a different almost philosophy in order to kind of get it back up again. So, and I think that's important because if you go back to our post game pod, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is you, you need that mentality. You need the first step is admitting you have a problem. You need that mentality of get out of the band-aid philosophy that's that close. And, and it's the first time we've seen this offseason that the Colts are, are you know accepting that. Great point. That's a great point, right? The, the first actual step in change is admitting something is wrong and how do we fix it. And then Chris Ballard, like I said, in a few different areas and a few different ways, kind of hammered that home of, I acknowledge that maybe this team is not as good as I thought going into, especially this year, and things need to change. So we'll get into a few of those things he mentioned specifically in terms of changing and what could stay, what could change here in a little bit. But Overall, at least theme-wise, George, I, I think that the word or maybe the theme we could use for Chris Bowder is accountability. You go back to 24 hours earlier on Monday, Jeff Saturday had his 
final press conference of the season, his kind of closing word. And I'll be honest, so you were there, so you tell me, but at least the sense I got watching it was a lot of things Jeff Saturday said in the press conference when he was introduced, now all of a sudden he's kind of going back and now you're kind of adjusting some of the words and now it's, oh, well, actually, you know, when you look at what I didn't really have to do and, I, you know, the things I couldn't really do, now we should just kind of move the goalposts compared to what I said when I was first hired. It felt like a lot of excuses. It felt like a lot of, yeah, but. When it comes to, yeah, we were one and seven, but I didn't do anything. And it felt very, it felt like he was just pointing the finger at everyone else but him. And that's why, he, and that was kind of his main case of being the next head coach. And that is alarming to say the least. And it was, it's such a stark contrast because the guys that defended him in the, in the locker room earlier in that day, guys like Shaquille Leonard, uh, guys like Ryan Kelly, guys like DeForest Buckner, Jonathan Taylor, a lot of their argument was that he brought accountability you know, because he was a former player, he wasn't afraid to to call guys out. I think anybody who's seen the clip of him on the sideline with Peyton Manning believes that. You know, it's not just that he's not going to have a problem, uh, you know, stepping on any toes in that locker room. And a lot of the guys were saying that they really like that. But to me, then when you go out and you're your presser and, and you don't have that same level of accountability for yourself, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that sits with the whole organization, not just the locker room, but everybody, you know, in the, in the front office and everybody, all the scouts who are out there putting in the work all the time. Cause I felt like, you know, while he threw the previous coaching staff under the bus a couple of times and, and backed over them a few times during that press conference, uh, some of the things that he was saying about the roster and you know, the, 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 the state of the team when he got there is also could be viewed as criticism of, of Chris Ballard and in, in the scouts, you know, and if I'm those guys, I don't know how I feel about that. So, so we'll see what that does moving forward. But, you know, to me, the, the biggest takeaway from that, we've talked before on here. I think the most dangerous thing in the NFL is to play the what if game. You know, well, you had that big lead in Minnesota. You only lost by three. You change a couple plays against Philadelphia. You win that game. Change a couple plays, you know, against Washington. You win that game. That's the, the the most dangerous thing, you know, make a stop against Houston. Now all of a sudden you got four or five more wins. You're in the division title race. Everybody in the NFL can do that. All 32 teams can do that. The Texans objectively had a better last month than the Colts did. You know, last yeah. second loss to the, to the Cowboys, overtime loss to the Chiefs, beat the Titans, beat the Colts. The one lopsided loss in there was the red-hot Jacksonville team. That's a much better final month than the Colts had. So it's just a really dangerous game to play. And I don't think your head coach in particular can't be playing it. I totally agree. And I, for that reason, I went back and listened to his introductory press conference again. Just kind of see this, the, again, see the tone and how it changed from Monday's final presser of the year compared to when he was first hired. And like you mentioned, like one of the things that really did bother me, because uh, I wrote it down, he mentioned that if he didn't believe in these guys, and this was when he was first hired back in November, if he didn't believe in these guys, he wouldn't have taken the job. And so back then he's telling me basically, I believe like we have what it takes coaching staff-wise and player-wise to win and have success here. And then all of a sudden you hear him talking on Monday and it's, well, we had half an offensive staff and, you know, I couldn't make that many changes and all, all these other excuses. Like, well, like what happened? Like you came in going home and saying, oh, I believe in these guys. Like if this was a failed team or if this was a team going nowhere, I wouldn't have taken the job. So you hype it up and then seven straight losses come and, oh, it's not my fault. Well, you know, it's. Uh, you know, I believed in them, but I actually didn't believe in them that much. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, like you just, you contradict a lot of what you said. 
And it's just more frustrating. Just like now, all of a sudden, like because the season's over and things didn't go the way he envisioned for, I mean, things, I think George, for the most part, went as most people expected, one and seven with one of the, you know, the, the worst point differentials in the NFL and just his eight game tenure, some embarrassing historic losses uh, mixed in there as well. It's just, like you can't have both ways. You can't come in halfway and say, oh, you know, I'm going to change the culture. I'm going to be the leader. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the year, be like, oh, actually, you know, I couldn't really do a lot. You know, we're short, shorthanded. It's true. But when you say you can do it, when you get in there, don't all of a sudden now change the goalpost. Say, actually, I can do this. And kind of try to change it and make, and make it not – try to make it as not as bad as we all saw it to be. One of the things Andrew Luck used to always say about the NFL and, and football in, in general was that his favorite thing is that it's a meritocracy. That, you know, there's a scoreboard – there's wins and losses. You're judged on your performance and, and nothing else matters. You know, you don't go into all these other outside factors that we bring into other areas of life. It's just you did it or you didn't. And I, to me, right. when you sign up, when you're Jeff Saturday and you accept that 1.30 a.m. offer from from uh, Jim Ursay, you're taking on that responsibility. At that point on, you're going to be judged by what happens, you know, and, and by results. And so, like you said, all those things are true. I don't know about the offensive staff thing. He keeps talking about that. I think he's overplayed that all year. You know, he keeps talking about that. Like they were missing half the staff when he came in office coordinator, Marcus Brady was gone. Okay. And then Frank Reich's gone, but you're replacing Frank Reich. So that's not two coaches down. It's one. Good and then point. Clayton Adams Good chose point. to leave your staff four weeks into the season. So I, that part, I don't know how on board I am with that. Um, it's it, there is definitely an element there, but I don't think it's as big an element. He's been talking about that one for weeks. Uh, and I just don't, I don't put a lot of stock in that. I, I get it. I'm sure it affected game planning, but you knew Marcus Brady was gone when you took the job. I, I go back to that, to that initial idea. When you took the job, you knew what was going on. And, you know, on that day, you said you believe in these guys. And certainly Jim Ursay was giddy that day. I mean, he was basically jumping out of his seat. He couldn't wait to introduce Jeff Saturday. And he seemed to be shocked that the rest of us didn't respond in similar fashion. And now you're coming back after a one and seven, you know, finish and, and, and trying to have some revisionist history. Some of those things have a lot of truth to them. It was a very tough this situation. There's no doubt about that. Chris Ballard, you know, repeated that a couple times a day. They put him in a tough spot. There's no question about it. But my whole point is nobody tied, you know, nobody tied Jeff Saturday into a plane and, and flew him here and forced him to take the job. So once you accepted it, you accept the responsibility comes with it. Right. We talked to as soon as he hired. He couldn't do much. That's why part of it didn't make any sense because he really couldn't get his fingerprints on the team. So, yes, he's right about that. Also, in the same sense, though, you knew what you getting, you know, you signing up for. Like I said, no one was – Right, forcing him to do it and holding him against his will in order to be the next head coach. He chose knowing the challenges he would face to, to, to succeed in this job and still took it anyway. And then one of the things that really bothers me, George, at least is the interpretation I got. It's almost like now, even though when he was hired in November, he said, Oh, you know, eight games, I'll see what I can do. And, you know, if I'm no good at it, the infamous quote, you know, I'll basically say it, hang it up. I'll see you guys later. And I'm no good. And like the sense I got Monday was basically, he viewed these last eight games not like a tryout, as more just like, uh, oh, let me just see what's going on. Let me see the inner workings and like, okay, this can be fixed. This is okay. Like, it almost seems like now 
going one and seven, he's trying to spin it as, oh, this is not a tryout. This is just, you know, me to just kind of almost like give the Colts a tryout per se and like see if I like it here and see like what I would change. And like now that I know through it games, you know, kind of how everything works, like this is what I would do. It's like you were brought in in November, fair or not, to kind of turn the Colts around. And like I said, Jim Mercer was happy. He thought the team was going to turn it around. You know, this is going to be a, a team that maybe goes up. They were four, five, and one after the Raiders went. So it's not like they were, the season is over by, by any stretch of the imagination. But he was brought in as someone who, again, was thought of to turn this team around, not of, oh, we want to hire you, but here's like a, a little, you know, eight game sample of to basically get your feet wet. And then at the end of the year, we're going to kind of allow you to kind of see what you can fix and not fix it, kind of prep you and groom you to be the next head coach. This was his opportunity. And now he's like trying to walk it back and say, oh, it really was not my opportunity. Just more of like a a soft open, if you will, for the head coaching search. It was that that really bothered me. I'll be honest. No, nah, I'm with you on that. Uh, Jim Irsay wasn't just happy. I mean, he would jump out of his chair like my daughter <laughs> when we told her we were going to Disney World. I mean, he was ecstatic. It, it was, you know, he, he was defiant. He was angry that we weren't all joining in in his elation uh, at that moment. <laughs> Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, Saturday made repeated reference during that press conference to learning opportunities, you know, that, that he learned through all this and that that's going to make him a better coach moving forward. And I think that's one point I want to get to, you know, before we wrap this segment up, I don't doubt, you know, one of the things that, that, that I thought Jim Irsay took offense to is, is that he was sort of thinking that the media was doubting Jeff Saturday's football credentials. I don't doubt Jeff Saturday's football credentials. He's a six time pro bowl offensive lineman he's one of the toughest guys who ever wore this uniform you know i know he knows the game inside and out i know he understands the business of the nfl i know he understands what it takes to win in the nfl but this job requires more than that this job when you boil it down to it to be a head coach in the nfl what your job really is if we're going to explain it in the most simple terms (laughs) you are making split second decisions in front of seventy thousand people and Chris Ballard sort of referenced this during his press conference that affect the lives of 69 guys on your roster, plus all your other coaches, plus all your other trainers. How many people in the world can really do that effectively at that kind of pressure, at that kind of daredevil act? That's not questioning anything about these guys. Well, all I'm saying, and I think all the rest of the media was saying, is that the guys that do that well, the guys that eventually learn to do that, it's a job you need training to do. I don't think we're going out and being crazy about that. <laughs> it's something that you need to be prepared to do because if you're going to go out there in front of 70,000 people once a week and make split second decisions that change people's lives, we don't just say, Hey, come on in your heart surgeon. You watched a lot of other people do it. You went to a good school. Go ahead. You know, you have residencies, right? You learn on the job. In the NFL, those residencies are going up through the ladder. They're they're being a position coach. They're going, making your way to coordinator. They're putting in the work beforehand. That, I think, is what people, you know, I, I just want to clear that up. It's not that I think Jeff Saturday is an idiot and that he doesn't know anything about football. It, it takes a special kind of person and a special kind of knowledge and talent and training to be able to do what a head coach has to do. You've watched and covered football, Georgia. You've been around the game for a very long time. That does not mean you could go in and play quarterback tomorrow for the Colts and have any sort of success. You know a lot of football. You watch a lot of football. You know what the quarterback is supposed to do. But like I said, it's knowing what you're supposed to do and having, like I said, that football experience of a player 
And then having a transfer to the coach, sure, it does help. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. We've seen plenty of players turn into great head coaches, but it's not like just some automatic thing of, oh yeah, that's of course it's going to translate or, oh yeah, there's going to be no bumps on the road. Like there's a, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's obvious. It's so obvious to everyone else. And that's why it's such, it's not a shock whatsoever that this has failed miserably uh, in the eight games, except apparently for Jim Mercer. He's the only one who seems very surprised. And even Jeff said a little bit too of how bad this has gotten, which is just like, again, you hope that common sense prevails, but I mean, you're right. It's not that Jeff Saturday doesn't know football whatsoever. It takes a certain set of skills that is extremely hard to um, hone, especially when you are the last, you know, decade working as an analyst, Rears Payne kind of talking about things, you know, really well, not a lot of head coaching, you know, not a lot of chances to put yourself in the, in the shoes of a head coach and say, Oh, snap second, split second decisions. Let me do this, this, or this It's very easy to second guess. And that's a lot of those guys get paid to second guess, including us too, you know, at the podcast, Oh, I should have thrown that. Why'd you do this decision? But in the moment, like I said, it's very tough and it's very hard to prepare for until you're actually there in the moment. One final thing I want to bring up because we talk about themes. I thought Chris Ballard, he's talking about Jeff Saturday's candidacy. The word leader was thrown around. Well, going back to Chris Ballard, uh, going back to the introductory press conference to Jeff Saturday, the, the leadership word was thrown around. It had to be 100 times without a doubt. Even Jeff Saturday himself on Monday thought that he still is a good leader and the players didn't quit. I, for me, George, look, we, we've mentioned a million different reasons why he should not be a head coach. So you don't need another one, but I will just say this. I think in the one area he was brought in to do, he failed. He did not get the guys ready to play. Chris Ballard, I don't know if he's trying to be nice, said that he didn't think the players quit at the end of the year. I could not disagree with that more. The last three games, I think they just mailed it in without a doubt. And it's just like you were bare minimum, whatever wins and losses aside, he was brought into at least galvanized a group of 53 men, had them play hard for the last eight games of the season and see where the chips lie after that. And I think the last month he failed at that. And again, I just, I, if you fail at the one thing you're brought in for, I just don't understand and I don't see how you can be a viable head coach. And I don't, I get why Jeff Saturday won't admit it because he basically takes out of the running, but it's like you got to realize too, like you did not do your job at the end of the year, just point blank. No, and I we talked about it, you know, in in real time as it was going on in Chargers game. We we talked about it in the post game pod that it looked like the first time all year that that the players really didn't care, uh, and and that they quit on him. And I, I I'm not going to backtrack on that now. I absolutely felt that way. There was a little more fight against Houston than I expected. Uh, but I don't know how much of that sure. was the fact that that Houston didn't do as much to kind of take them out of it early um, th- than some of those other teams did by, you know, st- shutting that offense down early on and, and giving them reason to want to kind of pack it in and start thinking about the the end of the season. Um, but, yeah, I, I, and here's the thing. You know, when I went, I texted you after some of those guys were talking in the locker room and said, hey, it's the first time we've really heard vocal support for him in the locker room. But even in that moment, like, okay, you know, it's big when some of your star players are, are saying the things that they were saying. That's absolutely the case. I get that. I understand it. But you're one in seven. It didn't show up on the field. And so even if we're wrong and they were bought in, even if Chris Ballard is telling the absolute truth and we are seeing something and, and we're reading something into, you know, those games that was not there, it didn't show up on the field. We will discuss some of the players' vocal support for Jeff Saturday, and also Chris Ballard gave a hint as to who the left tackle could be in 2023. We'll discuss that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Icke, George Bremer here with you. So, George, we're just talking about, again, for the fourth time in a row, nothing. The sad part is, George, we talked a lot about Jeff Sider, why he shouldn't be the head coach. And even though it's a, a tired topic, I will say each podcast, I feel like we have another reason, a new reason. Like, it's like we're just hitting up the same old things. There's a brand new reason each and every podcast to say, well, this is the latest reason why. And that's the latest reason why. He keeps giving reasons to kind of take him out of the head coach running. But then surprisingly, on Monday, you there at, at locker cleanout day, you heard some players, some prominent players, kind of voice their, their support for Jeff Saturday. What was that kind of like uh, on Monday afternoon? Yeah, it was really interesting because it's the first time we've heard that. You know, I think it's one of the things we were talking about. And that's one reason I want to mention on, on the pod, because we have kind of mentioned before that you don't hear that kind of vocal support. I will say this. There's a couple qualifications on this. They were directly asked if Jeff Saturday should come back. So it wasn't something they offered, you know, on their own. Um, and, and I do wonder if there's an element in there, like you were talking about with Chris Ballard trying to be nice because you know that the owner is is in this guy's corner. If I'm, you know, if you look at the guys that were doing this, Jonathan Taylor is the only one who's not tied to this franchise on a long-term deal right now, uh, and he's hoping to be. So, you know, are you going to badmouth a guy who's potentially your boss? You know, I mean, if I come to you and, and I start asking about the new uh, director at the radio station, are, are you going to start talking about all the flaws that he has? Are you going to play up, you know, what a great guy he is and, and what a great <laughs> job he does, knowing that he's going to end up determining how much you play and, and how much of a role you have. So that being said, um, Leonard's the one that gets me because Shaq doesn't know how to be anything but honest. He's His heart's on his sleeve. He's like Jim Irsay in that regard. He says things sometimes he probably shouldn't say uh, because he's he's just telling you how he feels. And he was adamant in his defense of Jeff Saturday. And a lot of it came down to he felt like he brought an accountability level that, that was missing before, uh, you know, in terms of going after the top guys on, on, on the roster. That's something I'd heard as a critique of, of Frank Reich before he got fired. And it's something that, that Shaq Leonard seemed to, to connect with. But again, I come back to that's fine. And it's great that Shaq feels that way and that he's a hundred percent, you know, in his corner because of it, it didn't show up on the field. I was just going to say, how much is that, Credit Jeff Saturday. How much is that just more of an indictment on Frank Wright? Because if you're like, if that, and it sounds like that's the case, right? There's a lot of reports out there that Frank Wright was maybe too soft and did not hold some of the big names accountable the way he should have. And Jeff Saturday changed that quickly. But I mean, this is just me just kind of speculating as a fan with no, in, you know, inside workings of any sort of candidacy or, or how the, the interview process is going to work. If I'm Chris Ballard, can I just be like, okay, that was an issue. So when things are going to prioritize in this search is going to be accountability. And I'd assume if you look at a guy like Jim Harbaugh, that's guy I think is going to say what's on his mind to whoever it is doesn't really care. I think you could get that same amount of accountability in anyone else you hire outside of Jeff Saturday, right? There's there's no question Jim Harbaugh is going <laughs> to have that accountability. Uh, he'll hold the media accountable in that way as well. He'll tell us anything that he, that he feels. And the fans will probably enjoy that as well. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just don't. Look, 
I've never been a, a big guy who who cares much about the raw raw side of coaching at the NFL level. I, I just when I hear about motivation and leadership, there's a baseline level you have to be. It's sort of like with quarterbacks. There's a baseline level that that you have to have to even be considered for one of these jobs. So I just assume that that, that you can do that. If if this was a weakness of of Frank Reich's and it was an area that Jeff Saturday improved, the team had a worse record under Saturday than they did under Reich. So how important was it? You know, I, I just point. go back to that Good kind point. of a thing. I, I just I feel like if you need a coach to come in and motivate you or to call you out because you didn't play, then maybe you don't have the right guys in the locker room to begin with. It's a good point, which I would I don't think that's the case with the Colts. I think they are a lot of guys that for the most part oh, are yeah. high character or unquestionable. But you're right. Like at the end of the day, okay, Jeff Saturday held guys more accountable, but yeah, it, they were quit the record is way worse than said by the everyone mailed it in. Everyone did. So what does that really tell you about, you know, either him, you know, not doing a great job towards the end or guys tuning him out too? It's something too, like, and it could be the case where he held everyone accountable. But the last month, look at how they played. The guys just get sick of the message and realize, you know what, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I think it's also a thing with athletes. They know where someone else is coming from. If, if they don't respect you, don't respect the way and your ability to make them better, I think it's pretty easy to tune out. And again, that's a big risk that Jeff Saturday has of if he's somehow the, the permanent head coach, I think it's hard to get guys to buy in if they don't respect your level of expertise. Again, when it comes to head coaching and making them better. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think they, he came in with instant credibility. I mean, we talked about that, you know, after the Raiders win because of his playing career. And I think they do like the way he handles things because he talks to them like a player, you know, he comes in and, and he talks to them the same way they talk to each other. And I think they really do respond to that. But, at the end of the day, I don't know. It's even so much something he did or didn't do as far as his demeanor, as far as his message. There's just so much negativity piling up around this team. When you're on a seven game losing streak and you break the NFL record for the biggest lead given up and you give up 33 points in the fourth quarter against Dallas, you're human, right? I mean, at the end right. of the day, it's going to wear on you. And I feel like that carries over to the next year. You may go into the off season saying, all right, because, you know, Shaq made the point. He deserves his own coaching staff. He deserves a full season. You may go into the offseason feeling that way and go through training camp and go all the way up to September feeling that way. But if the first game gets played and there's echoes of what happened before, I feel like that's what happened this year. I feel like this year went off the tracks and week one at Houston because that game felt way too much like week 18 in Jacksonville the year before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as we know, it spiraled from there and, Holy smokes, here we are. Four, and if you keep Jeff Saturday, aren't you risking that again? It's a good point. I think, I think, like you said, I think last year, week 18 to week one this year shows you you can carry themes over. You can carry even just the the way you play. It, it does, it's not an automatic refresh just because, oh, 2022 is over. All right, we can put all those bad feelings and that bad play aside. Well, it's going to magicate better in 2023. I think you're right. Like You bring Jeff Saturday back. You risk picking up in 2023 right where you left off in 2022, which is what no Colts fan wants whatsoever, and Jim Mercer especially. So hopefully, again, that's the latest reason. Another one added to the list, George, of like the 10,000 reasons we have right now and counting uh, reasons not to hire Jeff Saturday. But hopefully, eventually, uh, eventually Jim Mercer will listen. Two quick hitters here before we get out of here, George. Number one, uh, on Tuesday, Chris Ballard did mention that he liked the development of left tackle Bernard Ryman a lot, and it appears – that he'll be now the left tackle of the future. At least, at least we'll say going into 2023, it does not appear like the left tackle is going to be priority number one for the Colts. You agree with that? Yeah, I, I got two thoughts on that. A, 
he's he's earned it. I mean, if you look at the the peripheral numbers and and you know some of the stats that are out there around offensive line play, he he did a really good job in the last month of the year, and he had really tough competition. And B, I think there's an efficiency to it. You're already looking for a head coach and a quarterback. Do you need to add left tackle to the list as well? This kid gave you enough to go by. I think it just makes sense. I'm with you. I think it's. I think he showed you enough. He's grown and developed. And again, if you can, you know, turn a third round pick into your potential next left tackle for the next five years, I think it's it's definitely worth exploring for 2023 without a doubt. And uh, like I said, if he if he regresses next year, okay, it's a bridge you can get to. Again, especially if you get the right quarterback and the right head coach, then all of a sudden that could become priority number one in 2020. In the 2023 offseason, going to 2024, I said, especially where now you got a lot of other big pieces you got to worry about right now, like I said, with head coach and and quarterback. I also did like he's asked about the offensive line not doing anything to Kayvon Thibodeau when he was celebrating. You can tell it, but that bothered him, George. He was sitting there. It took a long time for him to answer. He's kind of you could tell in his mind trying to work up an answer that wasn't you know too damning, but you know not too soft. That I think really pissed them off. Seeing all five guys kind of stand there while Kayvon Thibodeau was celebrating next to an injured Nick Foles. There's no question about it. I, we talked about this before. I, I have no doubt in my mind that Jeff Saturday would have thrown hands in that situation, that he would have sparked a, a benches clearing brawl if he'd been out there. I, Chris Ballard would have too. You know, if, if he'd been out there uh, as that former Wisconsin player that he was, uh, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind he would have gotten in somebody's face. And I think the offensive line took that to heart a little bit too. It was a different situation, but you did see Quentin Nelson come to Sam Ellinger's defense in, in that week 18 game against Houston pretty quickly. I think they got the message on that one. And finally, the other last bit of news here, George, that we could kind of wrap up this pod with is the futures of John and the Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. Chris Bowers asked, you know, his thoughts on both and extension times are, uh, are here's a time to pay time to pay both one, you know, which one you prefer. It felt like definitely Jonathan Taylor more than uh, more than Michael Pittman Jr. was likely to get the big payday, uh, especially this offseason. Yeah, you know, and I think that's one of the things when you were talking about alarming things. That's certainly something that's going to alarm some of the fans. You know, his response that uh, you do pay running backs if they're a great player, and, and now he didn't say that that Jonathan Taylor falls in that category yet. I think they've got some things that they got to find out. You know, how much the injuries affected him this year, how much the decline of the offensive line affected him this year how much the overall circus atmosphere this season became affected him this year. You, you got to, you know, dig through those, those kind of things. But I think when, when you parse the answers he gave about Taylor and the answers he gave about Pittman, I think it's far more likely he's going to offer an extension to Jonathan Taylor. Not that he doesn't want Michael Pittman around, but I think if you've got to choose between the two, it, it seemed like he was leaning toward the, the running back in this case. I mean, Missy even just was openly questioning if Michael Pittman Jr. is the number one wide receiver, which, well, I think it's a fair question. Like I thought, especially after 2021, he was trending towards, you know, kind of taking over that role. And I think, you know, playing his way into being a number one. And look, it's not his fault this year. I mean, he struggled for sure and dropped. Even you saw week 18, dropped mm. a few passes he should have caught. Like it was uncharacteristic uh, down the stretch here. Michael Pittman Jr. not catching uh, some passes that we normally see him catch the first few years of his career in Indy. But also, too, it's like, Look, I know the quarterback play was not very good, but this is not exactly a year for you, Michael, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. You want to have going into an offseason where, again, extensions are possible and you're trying to put your best foot forward here. I still think he has what it's in him and uh, still has it to kind of be that number one guy. He's never going to be one of those game-breaker Tyreek Hill type guys, but I think a tough, hard-nosed possession guy that's really good in the locker room, really good leader in offense. For me, those are guys you pay. But like I said, if it's a numbers game, if it's a stats game, Especially this year, Pittman did not show you anywhere near the, the stats that warrant uh, an extension for sure. 
Yeah, my my comp for him is Anquan Bolden. You know that that's kind of the guy I see him as. Like, like that, that that sort of you know tough chain moving kind of guy. You need those guys on your roster. There's no question about it. Uh, I will say if there's an upside because we always like to put a positive spin on things here at the Blue Horse. Yes. Uh is you know a hungry Michael Pittman next year with something to prove. Playing with a rookie quarterback is not the worst thing to have in the true. world. That is very true. That is, I like that. That's a great way to finish it off, George. That's a great way to finish it off. Fingers crossed. Yeah, he's re-inspired. But also, too, again, hopefully he gets better quarterback. Like, I think it's a large part of his drop-off was just the fact that the guy started him the football this year. You see Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger, and Nick Foles. Uh, not very good, to say the least. So that'll do it for this edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast right here on Odyssey. We do appreciate you uh, joining us. Make sure, again, you're downloading, subscribing, and liking wherever you do get your Blue Horseshoe Pod because we have a lot of content coming out, ex- including later on this week. We'll be back, kind of break down the head coaching search. Right? We did a lot of GM uh, press conference breakdown, head coach uh, press conference breakdown, but now let's start looking ahead towards the future. They kind of put a bow in the 2022 season, George. Now it's time to look ahead to 2023. The Colts have already started requesting interviews with guys all across the league. So we'll kind of get you that list by the time Thursday does roll around. It should be a lot, you know, more expansive and we should get an idea of who true the Colts are going to be targeting. Who's going to be out there. So 2023, even though this was the first podcast uh, of the official offseason, now we can finally start to look ahead to the 2023 offseason. Uh, offseason George should be uh, should be a fun one. That's for sure. Yeah, this was kind of the, the post credit scene for the for the 2022 <laughs> season. And now we're going to move on to 2023 next week. It is nice, I will say. It's nice to put to bed the 2022 season. That is for sure. It's nice to kind of put on the back burner, hopefully erase it from our minds because it was not a lot of memories for this one for sure. And fingers crossed, a lot of lessons were learned uh, going into 2023 and beyond. That is for sure. So that'll do for us here for this edition. We'll talk to you later on the week right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.